Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I have here today on retina synthesis Dr. Michael Singer, who is clinical professor of ophthalmology at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio, and has been an innovator in evaluating novel retinal pharmacotherapies. And uh, today, Michael, we're going to talk about optogenetics, a brand new concept for most of us in retina. Absolutely. Carmen, thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. I truly enjoy participating in retina synthesis. And as a listener, I always learn a lot. So today we're going to talk about a new topic. We're going to talk about optogenetic therapy. And in particular, we're going to talk about something called a multichromatic opsin. What a multichromatic opsin is, is essentially it is a chemical that essentially turns bipolar cells into photoreceptors. And what it is, it's an injection using an AAV vector. And what it does is it infects different cells in the body. And what we're doing is we're transforming the cells. The reason we're using bipolar cells is they're very good at preserving visual processing circuitry. There are a lot more um, there are a lot more bipolar cells than retinal ganglial cells because there are other optogenetic therapies. Um, but you get higher spatial resolution if you get more cells and they have good lateral extending processes. So it requires focal activation. This, again, there are different types of optogenetic therapies. Some based on their wavelength require glasses. The nanoscope process, product called MCO-010 does not require glasses. So essentially a patient gets one shot and then they're evaluated over time. Now, what's interesting to know is we're working in the inherited retinal disease space. And it's important to appreciate that there are about 100 different genetic mutations that have been associated with retinitis pigmentosa. And statistically, you know, they account, they're responsible for a large number of blindness in patients who are between 16 and 65. And these patients are in their mid 40s. So they're actively involved in society. And Retinitis pigmentosa in general is 69% of inherited retinal diseases. But the problem has been, we've had a lot of potential therapies. We have to keep attacking each individual genotype. This is very difficult. So this multichromatic opsin was developed with the hope of attacking all genotypes in such a way that all of them potentially could benefit. So there was a trial called the RESTORE trial, which was a phase 2B trial. Phase 1 trial was done in India, and this was a phase 2B trial. And what it did was it looked at 27 patients with clinically diagnosed advanced retinitis pigmentosa. Didn't make a difference about genotype. The visual acuity is 1.9 logmar or worse in the study eye. And the primary outcomes were three different types of primary outcomes. One was called the multiluminance Y mobility test, and I'm going to explain all of them in greater detail later. The multiluminance shape discrimination test, visual acuity, and then of course you're looking for ocular and systemic safety. So patients were randomized in a one-to-one -one fashion. They had a high dose of MCO010, which was 1.2 times 10 to the 11th. They had a lower dose, which was 0.9 times 10 to the 11th, and a control group. Patients were given steroid prophylaxis in all these because it is still an AAV2 vector. And their primary endpoint was at 52 weeks and end of study was at 100 weeks. And patients either got shot or they got sham and they were followed up on a monthly basis. When we look at the people, they were well-balanced. The mean age was 56 years. They were well-balanced in terms of all the things you'd be well-balanced. They're well-balanced in terms of age and ethnicity and race. So again, it was there weren't anything that was significantly different between the groups. 
Um, but patients, you know, I said the mean was 56, but patients were as young as 23. So again, we're, they're not very, very young, but they're relatively young in terms of having significant disease because you had to be count fingers or worse. So the question is, when you look at these patients, you have to design functional tests. So the first test is called the multi-luminance Y-mobility test. And it really wanted to look at distance vision and navigational vision and vision that essentially may not be central vision. And what it was, it was a maze. And the object of the maze was to touch one or two, one of two different lighted panels. And there were obstacles along the way. And they did it in different light levels. So they really had six different light levels over time. And in order to, you had to get a score of 50. So you had to get through the whole test within 60 seconds. And you got, you got dinged every time you hit an obstacle. And you had to pass all three trials at the same illumination. You did it three times in a row and they changed the illumination every time you did it. So they tried to make it, you know, initially you did it at a certain brightness and then they changed the brightness over time. And what happened was patients who were treated with the MCO, 67% improved by two or more light levels versus only three patients in the sham. So that difference between 67 and 33% was statistically significant. The other test that they wanted to look at was what happens, because again, remember retinitis pigmentosa, if you're, if you're not going by genotype, it's all over the map, right? Certain, certain diseases affect central vision, certain diseases affect peripheral vision. So this I told you about the peripheral vision test. Now I'm going to tell you about a central vision test. It's called the multi-luminance shape discrimination test. And what it was, was an automated multi-luminance test for near vision. Patients had to identify one of three objects on a screen, whether it was a square, a circle, or a triangle. And you had to do it at two different illumination levels. And in order to, you had to get them all, you had to get it all correct. And you had to be able to do, do it at two different illumination levels to make sure it was clinically significant. And you had to get it right at 100% correct at each illumination level. And in this one, there was five illumination levels that people looked at. And when we looked at the MCO patients, 56% improved by two or more light levels versus 22% of sham patients. Again, statistically significant. More patients were able to do this near vision activity. And the third was, was visual acuity. Because again, some patients you know, who are at the better end of the spectrum could actually do a potential visual acuity test while those who are more hand motion light perception were you know, had to do more of the functional tests. And the Freiburg Visual Acuity Test provides objective, quantifiable, reproducible visual acuity assessments and have been independently validated over time. And a difference in 0.3 log mar, which was the doubling of the visual angle, which corresponds to a 15-letter change on the EDTRS site chart. So what was important is, in general, when we look at our you know, our regular clinical trials, you know, whether we're looking at AMD or DME or RVO, we want those 15-letter gainers. This 0.3 logmar is essentially the 15-letter gainers for low vision. And when we looked at patients who were treated in with MCO, seven out of 18 were able to get that 0.3 logmar or more improvement versus 1.9 in the placebo. Again, a statistically significant difference in patients who were treated with the active multichromatic opsin. So, when you look, yes. So, what was the in? Is there a Snellen equivalent to the data that you're talking about? So, the Snellen equivalent is there is the Freiburg test. The Freiburg test has these shapes that are very large 
that look at that. So again, when we look at the results, we kind of have to look at this as like a, a multi, um, you have to look at more than one endpoint. But essentially, we look at the endpoints in general, what we found was essentially that if you look at one endpoint, 100% of patients hit one of those key efficacy estimates, okay? Either the visual acuity, the, the multi-luminance mobility test, or the, you know, or the test that essentially was the multi-luminance shape discrimination. If you look at the other thing that's interesting to note, if you look any at any given test, more patients were able to do it in the MCO group than in the placebo. So then you look at the, the paradigm. How about, you know, I gave you three tests. How many people got two out of three right? So it turns out statistically significant higher number, 10 out of 18, were able to get two of these three tests versus one out of nine. And again, the goal in this process is, you know, we're trying to create a composite endpoint. These are new tests that are being validated to test patients with low luminous visual acuity. They don't see very well. And because the IRD can affect different pathways, we wanted to find ways that were working for different people. Because again, certain diseases are more central and certain diseases are more peripheral and you can do different things. And if we inject this chemical into your eye, this, this MCO, how does it affect and how do they live their lives? So again, what was interesting to note is that there was a statistically significance whether you looked at it individually or in combination. So why did the options go to the bipolar cells? I think I just think it's the way they're they they're engineered. I think you can engineer options in different points, and it's based on the wavelength. Because again, you know, the other companies are actually targeting ganglion cells. So I think you can. It's based on you know, it's like the secret sauce that I think you can you can tweak them in such a way so they have the affinity for the bipolar cells in this group. The other thing I probably need to talk about is safety. Because again, okay. every time we do, you know, we do new therapy, we want to make sure it's safe because that's what really keeps us up at night. It was well tolerated with no severe um, adverse events in terms of, you know, either systemic or inflammation in terms of retinitis or vasculitis. But what we wanted to know in general is that patients were pre-treated with steroids. The vast majority of patients were able to be weaned off their steroids at 52 weeks. Actually, only two patients required topical steroids at the end of a, a year's worth of time. And over time, most patients didn't need a whole lot of extra steroids um, after the, 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 the loading dose was there, but there were some that did. And again, we know this is AAV2. And again, what's really important is there was no significant loss of vision due to this inflammation, and there was no vasculitis or vascular occlusion or retinitis. So that makes everyone feel very well because again, all they needed to be controlled were steroid eye drops. Uh, any feedback on the subjective experience of the patients? Yes, there is. So what's really amazing, um, and I is I just found out yesterday that there's going to be a video released um, after in July of the patient who could see it all. There's a video of him swinging and hitting golf balls, which is amazing considering the shape discrimination, how long it is. I mean, I can't even hit a golf ball and I'm totally sighted. So um, it's amazing because the story is not only was he able to hit golf balls, he also told us personally that his daughter was recently diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa and the fact that he's able 
to have a therapy on him means she's got hope. So again, um, I'm very excited for when that video comes out, but I just found out we do. Patients are thrilled. A, a lot of patients were very happy. The vast majority, it was interesting when this study was performed, not only were the patients amazed, a lot of the investigators were pretty much amazed as well. So, you know, although the investigators were masked, it still was interesting the difference that you could tell for these patients because it really changed their lives. What's the next step? The next step is they have a meeting with the FDA. They're going to look at the phase two data. I think it's important to understand that really because of the, the, the variance of this, you know, essentially bare count finger to light perception vision, that that's such a wide variety that I think you need a composite endpoint. And I think using the composite endpoint will hopefully be a persuasive case for the FDA. The question is, will the FDA want them to do another study? They're doing a bunch of studies validating all these you know, testing mechanisms, and they're doing a safety study. Will there a phase three be needed? I don't know. But if it is, that would be the next step if, if they can't get approval by themselves. But I think what's really interesting is for the longest time, there wasn't anything we could do for these people. And you had to be a patient come in my office, and if they didn't have the right genotype, I couldn't send them anywhere. Right, if they weren't the exact exact LCA or the exact you know ushers or the exact X-link, there wasn't much we can do. The fact that we can potentially have an, a treatment for all these patients, you know, agnostic of what their genotype is, is truly exciting. And um, you know, I'm excited to be part of this process because I I really you know, as ophthalmology and retina surgeons, our goal in life is to eliminate blindness. And, and any step along the way is a big step. And I think this is definitely a leap forward in our treatment of patients with diseases that essentially we had nothing before. Well, Michael, thanks for bringing this exciting new science to the fore. And we look forward to talking with you again about this in the future. Carmen, as always, thank you for having me on. I'm always honored to be on your podcast, and I'm thrilled that I got a chance to share this with your viewership. Thank you.